You're listening to The Dish, a podcast of the Medical Laboratory Professionals Association of Ontario. This season, we're focusing on how labs have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. Some have rapidly ramped up testing and are wrestling with incredible workloads, while others are completing other testing, compensating for those who are redeployed elsewhere. This month, we're featuring Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Centre, Their laboratory in northwestern Ontario is the only regional acute care hospital for 48% of Ontario's landmass, containing just 2% of the province's population. Despite courier and inclement weather delays, distance from major centres and critical staffing shortages, this group is dedicated and ready to deliver every day. Their team worked hard to bring COVID-19 RT-PCR testing on board on three separate platforms, mitigating supply chain issues and test kit shortages. We spoke with Georgia Carr, Manager of Laboratory Services, Jim Uliana, Senior Technologist Biochemistry, and Lillian Stavropoulos, Specimen Procurement and Dispatch Coordinator, about the reflections one year after the onset of the pandemic. Hi, I'm Georgia Carr. I'm the manager of laboratory services at Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Centre. I lead um, a pretty large team of close to 170 staff overall and about 11 direct reports. The coordinators of the discipline areas are colleagues that I work with really closely every day. I also have superiors that I report to. My goal is to inspire my team and to support my team, especially during these trying times with the pandemic, and also ensure that quality results and proper patient care are first and foremost. My name is Jim Uliana. I'm a senior technologist in the biochemistry department in the core lab. Uh, I work under the direction of uh, Georgia Carr, our lab manager, and uh, Sheila Press, who is our coordinator in uh, the chemistry area. My job is a quite a broad uh, responsibility, mostly keeping things running smoothly on the technical side, keeping the instrumentation running optimally, the track, and from time to time, backfilling and doing uh, real work, as I like to call it, bench work, putting out patient reports and doing the testing and uh, the analytics. It's a lot of fun. It's very challenging. Uh, Hi, my name's Lil Stavropoulos. I am one of the coordinators at Thunder Bay Regional Lab. I oversee the specimen collection and procurement section. So we have about 55 phlebotomists currently in our group, as well as overseeing the specimen dispatch. So all the specimens going out into our referral hospitals. You are quite the trifecta. It's amazing. Thank you for speaking with me. Um, So Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences is remote and isolated. So um, I'm just wondering if a couple of you could talk about what this means for working with regional partners, career difficulties, and that sort of thing. What kind of factors are you noticing that might be different from testing considerations in Southern Ontario? We are so extremely um, isolated and remote, and we are here at the Thunder Regional Health Sciences Centre, the regional hospital, the only regional hospital for 48% of Ontario's landmass, which is White River to the Manitoba border, all 69 northern communities. We do what we can to be as self-sufficient as we can be, possibly, because we are greatly affected by inclement weather, courier difficulties, and things like that. Try to support the outlying hospitals as best possible. With regards to the pandemic, 
Um, we still use our public health service for most of those uh, COVID-19 tests, but we do help out in a pinch because we do have three equipment platforms that are up and running and we're doing COVID testing every day. The critical staffing shortage of medical laboratory professionals is really impacting us here in the north. Considering I'm overseeing the dispatch, the courier difficulties have posed a big issue, especially at the beginning of COVID. We fly some of our samples out. So with the airline, Bearskin, and uh, all of them actually cutting back services, it did put us in a hindrance. So Orange was actually transporting specimens to the Toronto or referral hospital area, Sudbury, uh, to try to help us out. So it was extremely challenging. Um, and along with weather and everything else that we encounter up here in the north, um, the challenges have been um, plenty, but as a team, we got through it and uh, everybody did their part. And so we're, we're back on track. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of kind of considerations that if you have a highway, you don't have to worry about that. It's very different right. from a plane. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Right. In the 90s, we had three large hospitals in the middle of the night or in a crisis, you could borrow blood from the blood bank or reagent or send samples. And, you know, we're a one-man show. We do depend on Life Lab. They do have a hematology, biochemistry, uh, microbiology department. But for things like pathology or, you know, more complex stuff, we don't have anywhere to send if our equipment's down. So it's a lot of pressure. Throughout the years, Greyhound, when they stopped servicing this area and this region, being a, um, a somewhat remote uh, of a site, here we have to be self-sufficient as best we can, having instrumentation, backup instrumentation, so that uh, if something does go down, we can still keep samples moving through and uh, doing the test. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about those first few days of bringing COVID-19 testing on board and what um, implementation looked like with regards to those kind of those issues like everyone is looking for the same supplies at the same time. I'll tell you, you go back, you can't believe it's a year. Um, and virology is, you know, a lab tech here is that different um, than probably most of the world. So, I mean, we hit the floor running um, late December, early January, and believe it or not, our SARS-2 protocols were done with training on January 18th. That was our first sign-off of our protocols, and we were starting to hold daily meetings. As leaders, we were feverishly trying to prepare, um, and we are so remote. We started ordering, you know, extra swabs and things. Back on February the 12th, the Ministry had put the Ministry of Health had put forward a memorandum asking about labs adopting this test. We don't have a virology department at the hospital, so we didn't think that we would be looking towards getting a virology license, the emergency order license, because we felt it would be the public health lab, like it would be an RNA, DNA, like nuclear extraction platform and such. And it wasn't very long before we realized we need to be applying for licenses, and it doesn't need to be the big nuclear extraction platform where you need a med microbiologist and you know, like at public health and a special wet and dry room and all that. By the beginning of April, we had our first platform up and running, and it was, you know, a lot of sleepless nights working right around the clock to get all the licensure in place and um, all the approvals from the ministry and all those sorts of things. Since that time, we brought two other platforms on board. Now they're more the kit tests for the PCR 
They're not the big nuclear extractors, but that was what we could do. When we, uh, when COVID first was implemented, our phlebotomy team, um, they were, it was hard to deal with them because they don't, we don't have a team that is designated to emerge. Uh, that team is a very small, but very efficient and very fast working team where they kind of take over the whole hospital. So when they kind of, when they did zone the emerge, um, it, it put a really hard strain on that department. Um, as long with PPE and all that kind of, you know, trying to implement the implementation was very hard. Yeah, so we were understaffing and to bring people on board, it's not like you can train them. It's not like a three or four day training. So it was, like I said, it was very challenging and the team did pull together. Um, we did get, you know, the supplies were um, limited, but, it, you know, we just pulled through and it, and it all worked out, but very challenging. I think the chemistry department was probably impacted uh, to a far lesser degree than say uh, the front end phlebotomists who were actually dealing with the patients. Uh, Georgia at her end trying to coordinate uh, the instrumentation and supplies and uh, that whole mess of things and the microbiology department. I mean, they all bore the brunt of all this added COVID testing uh, far more than we are or we have been in the chemistry area. Uh, now we're looking at things in chemistry, things like uh, antibody testing and antigen testing, which uh, within the past year and uh, looking back uh, retrospectively, I guess a lot of experts are looking at, um, and the, the, a lot of the dialogue is that there's a lot of value in looking at antigen testing uh, and antibody testing, because that can bring uh, a broader uh, sense of uh, what's going on, gives a much bigger picture of, uh, of everything that's going on. And, with the patients and where they are with the, their treatment and their, uh, their condition. We were so advanced over the last few years from a methodology sort of perspective where our motto over the last few years has been self-sufficiency, self-sustainability. And we had adopted Biomary's respiratory panel um, about two, three years ago and Malditoff, um, our whole lab has been updated, it's state-of-the-art, um, and remodeled. And even procalcitonin was something we identified as needing to tell the difference between, you know, bacterial and viral infection. And, and it, it really is a good test for the COVID panel also because of the um, complications and complexities. Having all of that expertise and having crossed all those bridges, we were able to hit the floor running. So having the respiratory panel in-house, COVID, you know, was added to that panel. And we already had the equipment in-house for that and already had it validated. The same with our gene expert platform. We also now have a BD Max, but because we had that equipment, it made the transition far easier. Um, and Jim, you know, he's very humble, but he's looking after validating the serology, the antigen, and he's just finished the procalcitonin. I mean, it, he, he's been extremely busy. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have, like, um, in being in the North, you kind of have um, established some a skill set already that allowed you to be a little bit more responsive when the pandemic hit. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I believe that's accurate. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been the manager for seven years, and we've been feeling like we're just just running, running, trying to outrun, like something's chasing us. That's how it feels. And, you know, one of the big goals was to have a medical microbiologist here. We'd love a PhD biochemist, too. Um, because of the emerging pathogens, and I remember, you know, going to market for the one of the PCR platforms and, and, and for BD Max and, and wanting something to have the capabilities that for any emerging pathogens wanting to do PCR. You look at things too, like obviously your spend. So sending out for these tests, microbiology is getting so complex and PCR is just exploding. So, you know, it makes sense to have it in house, but I really, the 2003 SARS pandemic, um, I really, really felt a sense of impending doom for a long, long time that we were going to run out of time. And um, it, it came, <laughs> you know. So I'm just wondering if each of you can reflect a bit on what it means to be um, looking at COVID now one year later um, from your each respective standpoints in the lab. Um, and what maybe you've seen change in a really positive way and maybe what still needs to change. The work from home model, um, I was able to do that. Lil wasn't because of her um, phlebotomy team, her, her on-site presence. I mean, last year we had our mid-cycle accreditation that had to carry forward. I feel the team has come closer together. Um, I always was extremely proud of my team. Um, I'm completely moved by my team and the other healthcare workers across the world, but in the hospital, you know, we're in the lab, you're in a more of a controlled environment. You don't have staff or, or sorry, patients here. And so just the leaders being close with the leaders and having our IMT structure here support us and all of the protocols and the training, um, it's, really put things in perspective and you realize how fortunate you are to have such good staff and good leaders. The biggest change I think is that um, it's, I felt a li little bit segregated before the kind of lab was kind of on their own. I'm, we, we were here, but we weren't here, you know, 85% of diagnoses come from lab tests and you hear all that, but I think truly people, recognized it but didn't really recognize it so the positive i think that came out of this is it truly put lab on the map and uh i think at all as you know lab professionals we can all appreciate that aside from that i think it's um it's amazing how teams come together uh when when you actually need them to um i think you know the lab on a whole we're a very tight-knit family uh, we did make the transition from mlts to mlas about a year and a half ago Thank goodness, or we would be in a very bad spot. But I think, you know, um, over, we've just come together. And I think that's um, something that we should be very proud of. Even outside the lab, the collaboration between uh, nursing staff, assessment centers, public health, like we knew each other. And don't forget, we're in a smaller community. So the lab community up here in North, everybody knows pretty much everybody. So. I think, you know, you put a face to the name, I think was a big thing. I think um, just everybody working together, uh, nursing staff, IMT team. Um, so I think it put us on the map. So I, I, I'm very proud, you know, of that happening. 
Uh, we still have struggles. I mean, um, as, as does everybody, the workloads there, the staffing is, you know, um, challenging. Uh, but I think overall, we've learned a lot, um, you know, working together as a team, like teamwork. So I think, like I said, that's, that was the biggest bonus. As far as the, the negative impact, and I wouldn't really say negative. Again, I think, you know, the challenges uh, that we have up, up here compared to, say, down in Toronto is that people don't really understand truly understand the geographical location of where we are. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear a lot of negative stuff like, uh, you know, the hospital's not full and, you know, why are we doing this pandemic's not as bad as it is. But from our standpoint at Thunder Bay Regional, I think because we are, we're it, you know, we have to be more um, pro, very proactive so we don't get to the point where if we run out of resources, what are we going to do with our patients? You spend a buck in the lab and you save 10 bucks down the road. So getting the proper technology and methodology and equipment and testing, you know, it flows the patients for somewhere where you have nowhere to send patients except on a plane to Toronto. And there's, you're, we're not going to be doing that. So, yeah, I think that, like you say, Lil, and our community partners, it's just been a really good experience from that perspective. And one year out, I mean, uh, we're talking about the staffing. I know here at the regional, we've lost uh, a few staff members to uh, the public health lab uh, because they're expanding their testing as well. Um, you know, and uh, there's that um, migration or mobility of the technologists and, uh, you know, in an already, uh, you know, difficult environment in terms of numbers, you know, we're still trying to meet those obligations in terms of you know, staffing and all that. And Lil mentioned the incorporation of the MLAs into our uh, regular workflow. So, uh, you know, on all levels, everybody's working, trying to keep things running smoothly and sometimes new and creative ways. We're working around the clock and I mean, you barely have time to think, but now with all the protocols in place and, you know, plexiglass and we do our audits and like Jim had said, our safety goggles, you know, masks, um, it, it has gotten better because the pro we're not developing all this, and but but it's sort of hitting home more to me now. Um, and I'm a loner. I'm a workaholic. Um, I'm a homebody. And you know, I was working so much last year with the accreditation and adopting the testing. But I find um, this year it's hitting me like from a real sorrow standpoint. From a mental health perspective, yeah. mentoring our staff, you got to realize like some of them, their husbands could or wives could have, be, have lost their jobs, the financial burden, the kids at school, elderly parents, canceled surgeries. I mean, it's affecting everybody, and and we're doing well. Don't get me wrong, but it's I have more time to think of all that this year. I didn't last year. I just kept running, just kept going. But now it's settling in. Medical professionals are dealing with both these kind of larger sorrows of the world right now and also the added burnout and the stress yeah. after having a whole year of adrenaline and being yeah. facing like, like it's a lot to bear. From my perspective, I you know, I oversee the, the receiving area in our lab. 
So I have never in my, you know, I've been doing coordinator job for 12 years, MLT for like 24 or whatever. I've never seen that amount of specimens come through. And honest to God, it's like you look at the staff and they were so determined, they were so determined to make it work. Um, you know, and you, you just learn to appreciate, you kind of put your, you know, your personal and your stress aside. And, you know, we did like, you just, like the amount, the mounds and mounds of swabs were just, but they would just keep going and they would just, you know, work through it. And they were determined, you know, for the safety of the patient and the community. And it's, it, like I said, it's crazy how everybody comes together. And that's, you know, that's the amazing part as much as, you know, COVID has like kicked us in the butt at the same time, I think, you know, you kind of have to sit back and reflect to say, you know, people do pull together at, that, at this time and just, you know, do what we have to do to make everybody safe and, you know, help the community. So And a, and a lot of it, you know, everything's being developed on the fly and a lot of troubleshooting. you got to have that problem-solving skill and that critical thinking. And, you know, sometimes we get labeled squirrels in the lab or, you know, um, my nickname some days is Rain Man, or they'll 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 say that we're you know too detailed or you know, all over the map, and it's like people can't keep up with lab professionals. Guys <laughs> <laughs> are ahead of the curve. <laughs> way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Like our brains process information, and we're like on to the next. The adapting clinical placements. You mentioned that the labs are getting creative, so I'm just wondering if you guys can speak a little bit about how you're how you're approaching that because that seems to be another barrier in addition to training new staff. Well, we've uh, taken 12 to 15 jobs and had to convert them to MLAs. We got 23, 24 MLAs down in the lab. Um, there's, there was no other option years ago. I mean, Kai Hai put the stats out in 2010 um, and very, very well-defined outline that this is where we would end up by this point, especially the rural communities. Um, it's 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 gravely concerning um and we're working extremely hard with my director and the region to put forward a proposal for a satellite lab here at confederation college like we need to take 30 kids from the northern community and sit them in a classroom in september it takes a minimum of three years to graduate and you need to be licensed to do these um you know release these tests it is dire so i'm not I can't believe that we won't have a satellite lab here in September because there's no alternative. I mean, like Lil said earlier, you know, 70 to 85% of the electronic medical record is lab results. You don't run a hospital without lab results. Um, I, I, over, I oversee the uh, medical lab assistants coming in from, uh, mostly from Con Confederation College here in Thunder Bay. Uh, it was very challenging uh, when COVID first hit uh, we didn't, you know, do we allow students into the facility um, amongst all the chaos? How do you teach them? Because we were just, you know, flying by the seat of our pants too. Uh, so we did put a stop to, we didn't allow the the, the MLAs to come in students um, until we kind of got our bearings. And then after that, you know, we, we did bring them in. Um, was, was it as, you know, was the placement as thorough as it was? previously was um, no however I think that it opened the eyes to the students to see you know this is what you're getting into it's not always going to be a paved road uh, your day does not start you know late like planned out for you um, I think when they came in they kind of 
you know, seen as much as they've seen what the lab, what lab professionals do, I think with the um, changes that were happening, I think the adaptability, um, you know, I think they got to see a different side of the lab to see like, you know, the changes that were happening, the challenges that we face, um, you know, we, we could only take so many students, the social distancing. Um, so as much as they got to see um, what they needed to see for their program, I think on top of that, there was an extra bonus because they were kind of in the middle, the tail end middle of what was going on. So um, I think they can probably say that, you know, they were here when it was all happening. And, you know, I think it, it, it helped them in this, you know, in that sense to kind of, like I said, your, your day is not paved here. Everything changes on the dime. So yeah. Um, and God, it God bless the phlebotomists who are out there, you know, front line. <laughs> um, medical technologists are important, but they're behind the scenes here that we don't, they don't go out and collect the blood, but we did have our medical technologist students here also, and it is very stressful for them. I know Jim, you might have something to say about that, but, um, Hopefully, you know, this pandemic is going to pass and we're going to have to start placing more students, hopefully with government help, with satellite programs and bridging or something, um, or we're going to be in a lot of trouble because out of my 170 staff just here on site, 70 of us are age of retirement in the next three years, myself included. Like one of my leaders is over 65, one is 61, I'm 58. I mean, we're all going out the door um, our careers we're at the end of our careers and I speak for most of the ones that are the leaders um, and you know not to be negative but the younger um, staff aren't very interested in these leadership roles because they do see the hours you put in um, it is rewarding though but you know we got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and like Lil just outlined you know as hard as it was if we don't place these students, who are we going to hire tomorrow? Yeah, I just you know want to add to what George just said, the importance of uh, continuing these clinical placements. Uh, uh, right now, we've got, I believe, just two ML MLT students at the moment. We did have uh, two others as well. Uh, and let me tell you, it's been a real pleasure with this crop, and it usually is with every group of kids that come through here. I say kids based on my age, so I uh, <laughs> understand that. Um, because it's great to see a lot of that interest and that enthusiasm in this uh, next generation of MLTs coming through. Uh, and uh, I got to say, I've been very impressed with uh, some of the work that they've done and the effort that they put forward. And, you know, we, if we didn't go to that effort to ensure these clinical placements, we wouldn't see that they wouldn't benefit from it. And, you know, we all grow and get better as a result of it. Um, you know, and, and they're seeing what's happening early in their career, this type of pandemic. It's new to us. I've been at this over well over 30 years, and this is uh, new to me as well. Uh, so hopefully with them uh, early in their career, they'll look back at some point and learn from this. And going forward, they'll take that, make them more knowledgeable, more stronger, and uh, better uh, lab professionals uh, in the years to come. I'm very, we're very thankful for the MLPAO. I mean, the three of us are members, Lil, Jim and I, um, and we're just extremely thankful for this opportunity and, and. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your thoughts. And I know it's so busy right now. So thank you so much for taking the time because I think it's 
hearing different perspectives from different regions is really, really important. Yeah, anybody who wants to come up and work at Thunder Regional, just <laughs> contact me, cardg at tbh.net. Send me your plug it in. <laughs> I'll cook, cook you a pot of spaghetti. I'll feed you. This has been The Dish. This episode was recorded, produced, and edited in our office overlooking Hamilton on the Niagara Escarpment. The Dish is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can reach us anytime at mlpao at mlpao.org. If you would like your lab to be featured in our next episode, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know. Through this pandemic and every day, we are making sure Ontarians see you, hidden heroes overcoming immeasurable odds. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe.